Welcome to the Show Me The Money podcast, Unlocking Property Finance. Join us on an exciting journey into the world of property finance, where we uncover secrets, strategies, and opportunities that can turn your property dreams into a lucrative reality. Welcome to Show Me The Money, Unlocking Property Finance. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Show Me The Money podcast. This is the first podcast in hopefully a series uh, of podcasts that we're going to be doing, myself, uh, Mark Champ, and Ro Sharma. Hi, Ro, how are you today? Very well, very well. Great to be here recording and getting this show on the road. Yeah, hopefully um, we're going to be delivering a uh, series of podcasts which talk about property finance and the world of property investment and development and hopefully some people should find it interesting and useful going forward yeah absolutely i mean the, the background to this podcast as well mark, mark and i met together over wine and a good steak out in uh, in Cannes during mipim this year 2023 which is a fantastic um networking opportunity for anyone who's not been out there and wants to get out there at some point Lots of great, um, you know, real estate professionals doing great things. Really, really good opportunities. Anyway, Mark and I were introduced to each other. Um, got on very well. Mark's obviously on the lending side, very experienced with uh, his background. I'm a property investor and developer myself, and we had some great chat about the challenges of being able to get your drawdowns, getting money from the banks when you need it to, to you know, to, to either acquire an asset or do the refurb or the development. So we thought, well, let's bring our minds together. And let's share with everyone else out there um, some of our experience. And, and I, I certainly don't profess to, to to knowing knowing it all, but by having the right conversation, the right you know the right discussion with an expert such as Mark and some of our guests, um, it's a great opportunity to 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 explore how to unlock property finance most efficiently. Because I've got to say, it's certainly been one of the most stressful parts of any transaction for me. But it's great to be doing this with Mark together. Yeah, it is, and there's there is such a plethora of information we can put out because there's so many different scenarios and in the 20 years I've been in real estate and the lending side I can't think of one transaction which hasn't had a quirk or a bump or something that's uh, asked questions so hopefully we should be able to talk through a few transactions get a few guests on some lenders solicitors accountants, anybody who um, will add value to the the journey of property investment and development. Um, and I, I really think there's a, there is a lot to talk about. And there's a, there's a lot of information that that I get from talking to, to people uh, in the industry. And also from the transactions themselves, what we're learning every day and the, the, the news articles we see and what we're seeing on the ground that maybe you're not seeing in the news article. So hopefully this will be the start of something that people will be able to use and uh, and learn from. So Ro, just just asking you, your your background, you're obviously a property investor, yeah. but um, before that you had a different life and uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> moved been, into been the glamorous few, world of investment. I've been through, uh, been through a few transitions. So I started off as a, as a British Army officer in the Royal Engineers um, loads of operational experience, managing projects, people, managing risks. Did that till about 2008. 
Um, it was actually probably while I was still in the army that I sort of started dabbling in property investment and, and bought my first rental property. It turns out to have been probably the worst purchase I've ever made, but it was a long time ago and probably the lowest value investment also. But that's another story for another time. Um, I went into banking actually when I left the army uh, and I worked uh, for Barclays um, uh, across change program and transformation management across both the um, retail and the investment bank. I also did that for a while, then into management consulting. And I think sort of towards uh, the, the final years of my corporate days, I realized that just being an employee wasn't something that w- worked very well for me. I've been taking orders all my life. So uh, it was time to venture out and start my own business. So I actually started full-time investing um, principally in HMOs in South London, where I'm based, working with young professional uh, HMOs um, and also uh, working with housing associations and supported living side. I also do planning uplift, so working with vendors on a joint venture basis to to get planning on sites to then um, sell them on to developers who want to build them out or for the right deals, I'll build them also because I've got some good solid construction experience as well. So uh, a bit of a, a jack of all trades, but that's kind of how I've ended up in in, in the property space. And, and now you know, I just love getting out, meeting people and building new relationships and, and collaborating because that's where the most funds to be had, you know, where um, we, we share the risks and the rewards together. But we're certainly in an interesting environment of property investment right now. And I'm sure you've got a few tales from your side. Tell us about yourself, Mark, and your background. So, yeah, my, my background when I uh, finished my Russian history history degree, um, which has become a little bit useful now, I, I went into um, into banking with RBS on the graduate scheme. So learn all the, the different areas of the bank. And it, at that time, it was it was still quite old school. It was still a bank where you needed to know about the the invoice, um, sorry, the uh, credits and debits and the the microfiche that was still being used and all ledger books and all these types of things that aren't necessarily known in the banking world now. Everybody sees the banks, for instance, the challenger banks as more of a, a transactional bank whereas when I first started in the banks it was uh, it was very different so um, we've come through the credit crunch in 2008 uh, which was an interesting time and learned a lot from it you know it was uh, it was a harsh time for some people but an interesting time to to learn and then taking that on to where we're sitting at now where there's a, a bit of a wobble and uh, hopefully been able to use my experience from 2008 to help people through through this time. So, um, yeah, my background, RBS, then Lloyd's, and then Shawbrook, and then uh, Wolf Financial, which uh, is property finance and trading business uh, brokerage, lend it or sourcing funds for anybody from a new start all the way up to, to large development. So we've seen, we've seen it all. And how's it been? Uh, going out on your own, setting up your own business, and how long how long's that been going for now? So, Wolf started in twenty twenty, and you start with a blank piece of paper, um, and you have to build a customer base. You have to learn quickly. You have to learn how to run a business because that's a different uh, kettle of fish to actually sourcing the money itself. And we've grown to a team uh, of eight people. Um, we have five brokers and uh, admin staff. We, we've grown pretty quickly. We've won awards, which is great. We're up for four uh, NACFB, so that's a 
National Association of Commercial Finance Brokers Awards at the moment. Hopefully, we'll bag one or two of those in September, fingers crossed. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Thank you, Sterling, Joe. Well, we, we were up for six last, uh, not last year, the year before, and we won none. So hopefully hopefully it will turn that round. But we, it, was a, it was a warm-up. It was a warm-up. It was a, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And, you know, we, we're very big on the networking and getting out and talking to people. So hopefully not only will we be able to get some really good guests on here, but we'll be able to tell people on the, the podcast what everybody else is talking about and what they're thinking. Um, and it... Yeah, it's, it's great. And you mentioned about collaboration. That's one of the things we're seeing most of at the moment. We're seeing construction workers with not so much money in their pockets. So they're having to look for joint ventures to yeah. get the equity into the deal. So we're, we're seeing a lot of that at the moment. Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes in the way people are operating to make deals work, and especially when we look at the sort of macroeconomic environment right now and how that's affecting people. But it's great. I mean, I was really excited about coming together and, and creating this podcast together because even for me as a as an investor, as a developer, someone who borrows money regularly when I do deals, um, you know, it, there are so many challenges that we face. So I think it's going to be great with some of those guests, as you say. We've got underwriters, solicitors, we've got surveyors, we've got all the people that are involved in that decision-making process before you can actually draw down your money. Um, so yeah, it's going to be some great nuggets that we can share with everyone, and, and I'm hoping to raise my game very much too as well, which is something that often comes out of these podcasts. Uh, you, you learn so much. But yeah, that, I think so. Brilliant. And you talking about the guests coming on, it it really does help people when they understand what underwriters are looking for, because it a lot of the time it isn't just a tick box exercise. You can bend the the parameters slightly and understanding risk and understanding what people lenders are looking for to uh, alleviate that risk is is really important and you know give yourself a chance and in this market anything that you can you know do that improves your chances against your competitors is is gold dust it's uh, is yeah. something that you really need to to work on so we recently did an audio recording where we talked about um what does an intermediary do? What does a broker do? So I guess perhaps we can, you know, cover that again on a video um, uh, YouTube version of the podcast at a later date. But as an idea, perhaps um, it'd be a great opportunity to hear about what you're seeing in the market. So here we are in August 2023, almost 12 months since uh, Trustonomics kind of um, changed changed the landscape from an interest rate uh, perspective in particular. Well, certainly that's the, the world's or the UK's perception of it. Um, but let, let's hear a little bit about what you've been seeing, the seeing, the changes you've seen in the market, lender yeah. appetite, and, and, and what you're seeing today, and perhaps a, a glimpse into what we might think um, is on the horizon. Yeah, so what we've seen is a real shift with stability, for one, and also the way lenders are pricing their transactions. So... Well, I talk about stability, you would invariably be able to go to a lender and know that rate would be there for the next six months, a year, whatever it may be. It may be even longer. And you knew there or thereabouts. If you hadn't expediated your process, you would still be on the same rate. Now, rates are being pulled all the time. And it's happening on a daily basis. We will get a lender saying to us, you know, we've we've 
we, you've got until 12 o'clock on Tuesday or whenever it may be to uh, get your decision in principle, otherwise the rate's gone. Or you need to have pushed your deal along to a certain point in the transaction, otherwise you're going to be on a new product. And that creates instability. Uh, and it also means that deals fall over because you could be stress test against one rate. And then if you have gone along the line and you've taken too long, you're going to be stressed against another rate. And that's harder to achieve. So we see more deals fall over. Um, we're seeing valuers come in with lower valuations. Uh, we're seeing some of the lenders asking valuers to value in a different way. So HMOs, instead of them being predominantly on investment values, they're now yeah. almost certainly going to be in a bricks and mortar unless it's a large HMO. Um, yeah. And the, also the, the other thing, the way the lenders are pricing, you'll ha you've got a higher interest rate anyway from where we were um, a year and a half ago. But you've also got a higher fee. So, so that the stress tests are more easily achievable, the lender yeah. is loading the fee to keep the rate down. So you may be able to get a five and a half percent fee, but the rate's going to be at oh, sorry, the fee's going to be at five percent or seven percent. It's you've got to take, you know, you've got to have cash up front to be able to, to pay for yeah. these fees. So the the way that the 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 actual Full package is being priced is it's it's difficult it's it's difficult uh, and it's changed. I, and I've got direct experience of this actually. I've I've done some refinances um, in the last three months. Actually, we had about three or four going through, which is just terrible timing. For an excused a little chihuahua barking in the background. If you, in case you can't hear him, um, gets very easily excited. <clears throat> yeah, we had um, a, a number of. Uh, refinances or rate switches which just obviously from a timing perspective couldn't have been at the worst time when there's been so much uncertainty um and actually as a good tip in there always try and stagger your um your kind of your refinance dates so you don't always have that concentration risk during one economic period of and, and at the moment obviously it's been uncertainty um but the point i was going to make was that um, a couple of deals where the rate was made more attractive um, as you say, exactly to help with cash flow and to pass those stress tests, um, but they do pile on a very heavy uh, product fee onto that, which you don't have to worry about today if you're adding it to the loan. However, you know if they're putting a long, large product fee onto the loan amount, then obviously you've got to think in two to five years' time, especially if you're highly leveraged on a on a property, you've got to make sure it's not going to push you above uh, your loan to value which makes it then more difficult to refinance or to rate switch later on unless you're able to pay some capital back yeah. in. So that's you mentioned the loan to value. You mentioned the loan to value. That's a very important point because in almost all lending documentation, there's a loan to value covenant. And that loan to value covenant will be 75% or whatever it may be maximum at the time that the bank chooses to do a valuation. And the bank usually reserves the right to do a valuation whenever they want. So it usually happens on an annual review. But at any point, they can say, right, your property we thought was worth a million. Now we're actually thinking it's worth 900,000. And if they go out and get a valuation and that is the case, your loan to value covenant may be broken because if you're 
de the decrease in the actual um, value of the property. So it's something to look out for when you're looking at your loan documentation and whether the loan to value covenant is achievable and whether it's achievable for the long term because you know you don't want it where values come down and then you're in breach of your loan uh, conditions because they can call it in and they may do that that you know we saw that in 2008 we hope lenders have learned the lessons from that but when rates have gone up and they're lending at a, a lower rate it does make economic sense for them to call loans in and uh, this might just be more anecdotal, but how much more sort of you know repossession or loan calling in activity has there been in this period relative to what we've seen in 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 other sort of periods of uncertainty? So if you're comparing it to two thousand and eight, there's been nowhere near the same levels. It's yeah. the banks have learned that it's better to support people than to completely ruin them which you know is a harsh lesson that's been learned but it people look for support and if you if you're talking to um mortgage providers everybody is offering services where you can talk through your circumstances and they can create payment plans so it's, it's a lot more sympathetic to people but the problem i have is there's been so many people that have over leveraged over the last five to 10 years, you know, we've seen the advent of property training groups and everything's about borrowing as much money as possible to be able to build your portfolio. And a lot mm. of the time you see people not only borrowing 75% loan to value, but they're borrowing investor funds as well. And they're yeah. paying almost bridging rates on the their equity contribution and they're paying the 75 or on the 75% um yeah. traditional debt so when that happens that that's the time when things are going to fall over where you can't pay either side of it and you've not actually got any skin in the game and skin in the game is probably the most used phrase by credit managers in banks they want people to have hurt money in transactions and when you borrow in investor funds and traditional bank funds that's you know it's a recipe for disaster in my opinion yeah yeah and as you say it's a lot of that has been built during a um yeah you know, in a period where interest rates were very low and now when they come into you know i've seen it myself in, in some of our hmos where obviously you, you might have been paying three and a half percent and then all of a sudden it jumps up to like five and a half percent or even more for many people and all of a sudden you know you're 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 your income is is dramatically reduced and if you're obviously paying investors as well as you were saying on that on that upper tranche um of of the total borrowing you've got where you haven't got skin in the game then i can see how that can be um that can be very dangerous yeah it is and i have a property in clapham that i rent out and the yield is something like three percent and luckily i took out a five-year fix in 21 so it's on a right. one point something percent but there is now a clear strategy from me that I will be selling that in yeah. 2025. It will go on the market ready for me coming off my rate and moving up to 6%. Because if you've got a 3% yield and a 6% rate, uh, the, the economics don't work in that. So it, it's, yeah. it's not worth keeping. Um, and yeah. values, we presume, are going to flatter or maybe go down slightly. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's something people need to consider and do it early because so many times we have people coming to us, oh my my rates running out in three months, and I'm I'm say I say to them, if everything goes well, three months is the minimum time you can expect to get a buy to let or a, uh, an investment loan. You can do it a little bit quicker for bridging, but we've got one with one of the challenger banks at the moment and the valuation's been in with them for two weeks and they've not come back to us having looked at the valuation. So it's it's very important that people think long-term and they need to have a strategy because at the end of the day, property is a long-term strategy. Flipping can go either way. And we've been in the good times and now the not such good times could be upon us. Yeah. What, what have you been seeing in terms of um, volumes and volumes of applications, activity? Because I think, you know, from, a, from an investor perspective, people who are listening to this podcast might be thinking about, you know, possibly they're seeing deals, they're looking at putting offers in. Um, now's a good time of year to be doing it. There's been a lot of uncertainty for a long time. Um, and, and we're starting to see a change in pricing as well, certainly I'm seeing on the market. But what sort, what sort of things do um, borrowers or investors need to be considering about application timelines, what they can expect in terms of scrutiny from lenders? Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing and perhaps a few anecdotes of, um, of some of the things you've experienced over the last, last few months, and if there's been any changes in that as well. So we're seeing less new investors and developers come to the market we're seeing less of those. But what we are seeing is more of the experienced people come into the market because six months ago, the experienced people were saying, oh, you know, it's all it's all gone wrong. We're, you know, we can't do anything at the moment. But now we're seeing them creep out where the values are not as high as they were. So they're seeing we're seeing people looking for bargains, and that generally puts the experienced investors who have a pot of cash in the background that they've been saving uh, in a really good position. So we're seeing more experienced people. But we aren't seeing as many new people come to the market. We're seeing people who want to add value. So single buy-to-lets are not the flavour of the month, even though one of my customers has just bought one, an ex-local authority, complete refurb, and has made a, a, a really good profit on it. We're not seeing so much of that. What we're seeing is people wanting to add uh, value to property. So we're seeing a lot of commercial conversions. We're seeing people buying terrace houses, converting them into HMOs. But probably what we're seeing the most of is small-scale development. We're seeing uh, people who maybe have done refurbs in the past now being able to afford land a little bit more and then they be able to use this land to build, you know, anything between four and ten houses, uh, not houses, uh, flats on it. Uh, so we're seeing quite a bit of that. Um, but I think commercial conversions is probably the hot one at the moment for us. So you see more commercial conversions. That's interesting. Yeah, it's. I think it's just because they're more competitively priced. Yeah. And if you're getting um, bridging finance, for instance, it's not much more to buy a commercial property with bridging than it is a residential. But if you were to buy commercial property for investment purposes, so a long-term investment, 
the rates are so much higher. And also, there's only a couple of lenders who will lend on commercial at the moment. So right. they're Loads looking values to buy as well, from, I guess. Yeah. So, also, right? Yeah, exactly. So they're looking to buy these commercial and turn them into residential. Um, and then hopefully they're wanting to get some money out. It doesn't always work like that, but hopefully they want to get some money out and then recycle and go again. For Pete, I guess... Um... You know, certainly when I think about myself as, a, as, a, as somebody who goes and buys property, um, I'm very much in that mode right now. So I've been spending a lot of time talking to my investors and, and putting offers in. Um, what do we need to be thinking about in terms of how to make ourselves look? Well, the point of my question here is that we need to be able to transact quickly to get good deals done. Um, and if there's finance involved, then what sort of things do we as investors or borrowers need to be doing to to make sure that we are really on top of our game with the lenders to get those applications through? So there are a lot of things you can do. Firstly, ensure that your credit file looks as good as it can because you don't want to get down the line and then a lender looks at the credit file and says, no, we're not doing it. Um, You want to be able to uh, have all your documentation ready. So that's ID, address verification, a bank account. That is a big one. Having a bank account open for your SPV. And there are so many times where we've gone along, done the application, get to the direct debit mandate. Can I have your bank details for your your direct debit? Oh, we don't have one open yet. Okay, so the high street lenders are taking an age to do it. And a lot of the Challenger banks and the fintech lenders won't accept the online banks as um, a, a suitable UK bank for uh, direct debit purposes. So having a bank account open for your SPV straight away is very, very important. Um, yeah. What else? Knowing your numbers and making sure they stack up because they will get, it sounds harsh, but they will get ripped apart by a credit officer so when you're doing a development if you're saying i can build for this much and you can't which invariably is what happens then it just slows everything up and it can cause uh, a lot of expense and the deal not progressing because when uh, you're looking at it from a lender's perspective the developer puts forward their costings but then a qs so a quantity surveyor will put forward the market expectations for their costings. And invariably, they are very different. It was a delta. Yeah, so we we see deals fall over at that point. So making sure you've got um, realistic costings, making sure you've got contingency in the background, making sure the investors, if you have them in any transaction, are identifiable. We've had some that... uh, are less easy to track and therefore lenders will not lend. Making sure you've got, and I hate this phrase, but making sure you've got a power team. So you've got a solicitor, an accountant, a broker, um, people who ideally know each other because I can, there's some solicitors out there that I pick up the phone to and I just say, can you do this? And they do it straight away. But if I don't know them, it's harder to do that. And, And, And Solicitors take their time as well. So they they take a very, very long time. And it's one of the things why having a broker is a good idea because if you imagine 
the analogy of, of a wheel. You have a the hub in the middle that's the broker, and he has a solicitor off him. He has the accountant. He has the wealth manager. He has the bank. He has whatever, the value, whatever off, off coming off them. And to make that wheel turn forward, that broker needs to be talking to each of those spokes. And it's so important. Otherwise, that wheel doesn't move. And sometimes it becomes yeah. a square wheel that, that has mass, massive clunks. It'll get there in the end. But, you know, the, the the wheel analogy of what a broker does is very astute, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and actually, just picking up on a point you made about costings and I've seen this quite a few times as well, when I, especially when I, you know, talk to some of my um, um, people in my sort of community who do the same sort of thing. Um, if you, I guess from a lender's perspective, it's important that your costs are in line with market costs. It doesn't matter if you're building it for significant less, that's fine. I guess, and, and I guess you can you can corroborate this. If something happens to you as a borrower and on a half-built scheme or something happens to the contractor where the, the, the bank have got to step in and, take over that scheme to get it completed they want to know that there's still enough funds to be able to do it at market rate rather than being able to do it at your mates rates um, if yeah. you are doing it very competitively so that's that's a trap that people often fall into and don't understand why the banks are looking at it and scrutinizing that way when when you know you can do it for far less and yes. perhaps you're you're right. the project manager as well so there's no project manager fee but obviously you get hit by a bus then yeah. someone's still going to have to pay for that time Exactly. You are completely right. And it, it's uh, one of the discussions I have with customers the most on the development side um, where their costs aren't realistic. So, And then they forget things like finance costs and they put everything in and you're missing the, you know, the whatever 12% you'll be paying on a development at the moment. And yeah. then you've got your fees, then you've got your valuer, then you've got your solicitor. There's, there's lots of things to consider. And I think you know, moving forward, we'll touch on these more and then we'll get particular guest specialists on who will be able to talk us through that. So I think uh, that yeah. could be a, a good way to end this first podcast and hopefully people have found it useful and they're going to tune in for the next one. Absolutely. And let's get, you know, anyone who's out there listening, send us your questions. Um, leave a comment on, on the uh, YouTube uh, comments um send us a message obviously you've got um mark to share your email and then i'll i'll leave i'll let them know mine as well and um, we'd love yeah. to hear feedback tell us what your challenges are what it is that you want to help you know want us to help you to understand better by getting the right guests on we really want to make this as valuable as possible for experienced as well as people who are not so experienced um so feedback much appreciated yeah so you can get me at info at wolf financial .co.uk or you can follow us on all our social media at Wharf Financials with an S on. Um, yeah, feel free to get in touch. Brilliant. And um, feel free to contact me. Um, so it's Ro, R-O at Finura Property, Finura with an F, finuraproperty.co.uk. And we're looking forward to uh, doing plenty more of these. It's been good fun, Mark. Yeah, very good. Thanks a lot for your time, Ro. And thanks for listening, everybody. That concludes another episode of Show Me The Money podcast, Unlocking Property Finance. 
Connect with us on social media where we share additional tips, resources and behind the scenes insights. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning and keep making those smart investment moves. This has been Show Me The Money, Unlocking Property Finance.